you pray with me? Father in heaven, if we look back on our life, God, we don't deserve moments like this. Oh, your presence is so holy. And we're so unrighteous, so undeserving. I thank you that you came today. And I'm having a hard time, God, this morning moving past you. I feel like you're lingering. And I don't know your purpose. I don't know why. I just know when my Father is near. Pray, God, today that whatever your plan is for us, maybe someone, Lord, is sitting among us and they're contemplating whether or not call you Lord or Savior, Master, knowing you like I know you, my Father. I pray you'd ready their heart. Some of us, God, need to move closer to you. Some of us need to be more sensitive to you. I pray, draw near to us, Lord, as we draw near to you. We don't rush so quickly. For the Lord of hosts is among us. The King of kings is here. And we are a grateful church. A grateful church to know that you have decided to make your dwelling place right here in this house and in these temples. We love you, Lord. We pray your anointing upon not just me, but Father, the hearer as well. We need to know your word more than just beyond what man would say. I pray, Holy Spirit, reveal in a way only you can reveal. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all mind if I just keep these up here today? <sighs> I am over the flu. Thank God for that. I didn't know you could be dying resurrected in one week. <clears throat> Man, that, that beat me up pretty good right there. Uh, there's a couple times I just asked my girls, I said, if you love me, you'll just shoot me, and we'll, we'll get on with life. Uh, because it, it was stiff. I thought I was just going to be a man and power through it, you know. And, um, man, that was tough. So I'm here today, uh, not 100%, but we're going to make up the rest. So just if I cough, I sniffle, just please just remind yourself that that brother needs some prayer <laughs> this morning. So uh, have you ever been to Sight and Sound Theater? I love Sight and Sound Theater. I love... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a theatrical man. I, I love the theater and all. Uh, in fact, Julie and I's very first date, I took her to see Cats. And um, I love, love Broadway, love those types of things. Well, one time I went to Sight and Sound Theater and we went the backstage. Who, who's all done the backstage stuff before? You went behind the back and you kind of saw everything. It's incredible. There is three times more stage behind that stage that you see. It is incredibly long and deep. I had no idea. In fact, we were there for uh, Jonah, 
And as we were there, we, um, we went backstage, and they still had all of Noah's props. Now, if y'all saw Noah, Noah has a lot of stuff back there. And so I was just blown away at how much was backstage, how much we didn't see. And so you're, you're watching the whole show, right? You're watching the whole thing put on, and there's two shows happening. One is they're telling a biblical story. At the same time, they're doing a magic show <laughs> because they're concealing everything that you don't see, Right? And they only bring out the props, they only bring out the characters, they only bring out certain things at certain times so you don't get lost in the story. You follow what I'm saying? And so, and so that's what's happening the whole time. See, that's the art of revealing things at the right time. And when you and I read the Word of God, we must know that it is the same. That God is not putting everything out there in front of you so you'll know what's happening. He knows that if he shows you backstage, you will break down with a severe case of ADHD. and You're going to figure everything that he's trying to, to see right in front of you, and, and you'll miss the point. And so when we look at this in terms of our word, in terms of the Bible, we call that revelation or the doctrine of revelation, that God is going to reveal to you at certain times. In fact, if I could give you a pretty good definition of what revelation is, Revelation is the act by which God communicates to human beings, me and you, the truth concerning himself, his nature, works, will, or purposes. It also includes unveiling all of this in order that we may see it. And in short, the best way I can say it is simply this, is that um, revelation is the unveiling of absolute truth which had previously been hidden. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and say uh, this sermon is going to be two parts, part A and part B. I'm going to give you part A today because if I didn't give you part A today, I wouldn't love you. There's no way in this world I'm going to break down general revelation and special revelation and you walk out of here with any kind of mind, okay? So, so today, we're just going to get the easy stuff. Next week, we're going to dig in, but the, but the, the stuff next week is going to be so much more um, uh, awesome because not more awesome. The Lord just told me, Scott, my word is not in balance, right? It's not less powerful over here, less awesome over here. But for me, anytime we get to talk about Jesus is my preference. And so next week, we'll get into that. But this morning, we're going to walk into what does it mean and why is this important? Why is revelation important? This is, this is the act that, that, uh, that God has chosen to answer this question. How does God make himself known, and how can one know God? That's a humongous question. How can God make himself known, and how can someone know God? When we talk about what we believe, when we talk about why we believe, when we talk about where we get our beliefs, and we talk about how do we validate our beliefs, we're talking about um, how God has revealed himself to us, and how he desires for us to know him. The Bible is unique in this way because no other book makes a claim that it and it alone gives special knowledge of God. No other book makes that kind of claim, but the Bible does. The Bible says, if you want to know who God is, I'll tell you exactly how. So when you and I say that we follow one book, here's what we're saying. We're saying that we look to the Bible as God's revelation to us and how to know him, that means how to know his purposes, how to know his will, how to know his ways. How to be loved by him, that means coming into a right standing in relationship with him. And how to be blessed by him, that means how to operate in his favor. And so today we're going to look at the first of the two ways to reveal himself, and that is through general 
revelation, general revelation. Richard Dawkins is probably the world's most uh, outspoken um, atheist right now. Uh, I've read several of his books, and they are, uh, they make you hostile. You know what I mean? You, you just, when I listen to them, I think, how can someone be so smart and yet so not, you know, at the same time? Um, because he says things, and it sounds, you ever have a friend who sounds like they know what they're talking about, but when they, when they say they're through talking, you realize they hadn't said nothing. Do y'all know anybody like that? And do not say you're a pastor. Do not say that. <laughs> and so Richard Dawkins is one of these guys. He's one of these guys that when he talks, you're like, wow, this guy's smart, but he's not said nothing. And so I remember watching the video, and there was an interview, and I remember because he was so um, sincere when he answered this question. They asked him, they said, they said, Dr. Dawkins, if after you die, you do meet God, what, what would you say to him? What question do you ask him? And I remember this so clearly because he was talking to the interviewer, in the interviewer, you know, they work on that, that side shot camera, and he turns to the camera and addresses it, and he would say, kind sir, why did you make yourself so difficult to find? And, and when, I, when he said that, it wasn't just the question, but I really saw in his heart, in his life, a longing to know God. He really wanted to know God, but he could not, for the, any reason given to him, understand that, that a God exists. And, I, and in that moment, I truly believe that there was a part of Richard Dawkins that was crying out for his creator, and he didn't know how to articulate that. He didn't know how to verbalize that which is a cry and shame because that particular question, God has answered over and over and over and over again. So how has God answered himself? How has God answered that question? How has God has made himself known? First, he's made himself known through creation. That is everything external to man, all right? Everything outside of man. He has made himself known in nature. How do we know that God has made himself known? The Bible tells us that he has not left mankind without a witness. Look at Acts chapter, <coughs> excuse me, 14, 15 through 17. <clears throat> Brad, you're going to have to anticipate my <clears throat> interruptions here if you don't mind. We'll pay extra today. Um, so here's the story is that Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're preaching. And as they're preaching, they, they see an opportunity to, to heal a young man who has been lame forever. And uh, thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. He's been lame forever. And uh, as they, they, uh, they pray and he's, he's made whole because they said that they see his faith, his faith is enough that he can be made whole. And so they pray for him. He stands up and the people go crazy and they go, wow, the gods have made themselves known to us. They've come down to us. And so uh, they call, they call um, uh, Barnabas Zeus and they call Paul Hermes, which is the Greek mythological uh, gods. And so, so what happens is, is they run and go get the priest from Zeus's temple. He brings offerings and sacrifices, and they start sacrificing. They start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And so Paul responds, and he runs to verse 15, and he says this, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed the nation to walk in their own ways. Yet, 
He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Yet he did not what? He did not leave himself without witness. And what was the witness? What was the witness to this world that there is a God who is a living God and that he created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them? He says simply this, by giving you rains from heaven. Where is the massive cross that is a thousand feet high? You know what I mean? Where, where, is, the, where is the trembling voice? No, God just gave you rains from heaven. And he gave you fruitful seasons, and he satisfied your hearts with food and gladness. Now imagine that. That that blows my mind that it's just so simple because in those days, you know, Zeus was responsible for those things. And he's saying, no, 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 no. That's not evidence of your God. That's evidence of the living God. And when I thought about this, I thought more. I thought, you know what? The very food that you eat, that you and I eat, is evidence that God exists, but even more that he's speaking. Because nothing that you are, are sustained by is, is, is apart from his hand, his working. Everything that sustains you and holds you up and, and provides and nourishes you, he is doing it. In fact, I, I love steaks. Anybody love steaks? I love steaks. I love when you go to the store and you buy a steak. Now, some of y'all don't buy steaks that way. When you go to the store and buy a steak, I know this, is that that's how I, I provide for myself. I go to the store, I buy the steak. But I also know that steak came from a slaughterhouse, which came from a feedlot, which came from some farmer's, you know, field. And, and then that cow was eating some grass that grew all by itself. No, the rains came and the grass grew up and the seed was planted somehow. And all those things happened because the Lord's word said it would happen. There's nothing in your life that the Word of God is not put into motion and caused to sustain you. I don't care how far you have to go back, but go back to the very beginning. Even the car that you drive come from this earth, right? The rocks had to grow and produce minerals, and it had to come to a place where man's knowledge would understand that, reveal that, harvest that, and implement that in your, implement that in your life somehow. So there's nothing that you possibly, even the clothes on your back, let me tell you a powerful statement. We all are sitting in this room right now clothed by the power of God. All right? In two ways. One, your physical clothes bless God, right? And your spiritual clothes, hopefully you got your armor on today. But either way, it's God who is doing it. And so if you would look down at your clothes and when you go home for lunch today and you eat, Here's what you need to know. God is speaking to you. He is speaking to you because the very fact that you have something that is being provided in your life and that you are being sustained is God speaking to you and saying, I am here. I am here. Simply put, a God who sustains you is a God who speaks to you. Let me ask you a few questions. How is it that we expect God to speak to us over great matters when we fail to hear his voice over small ones? Because you and I are supposed to be grateful. When's the last time you thank God for the small things? How many of y'all pray over your food and you say, oh, Pastor Scott, do we got to pray over your food? I would say that you might want to do that. Seeing how that it is him 
who is sustaining it. And see, that is the key of gratitude. The key of gratitude that says everything I have in my life all comes from him. And if I can acknowledge him in small things, he'll know I'll acknowledge him in great things. But more importantly, if I can be sensitive to his voice and I can appreciate him speaking to me through small things, then I know I'll hear his voice through great matters. You see, if we fail to acknowledge him in our daily bread, how is it that we'll hear him in our desperate state? How can we look to hear his voice for the things we have yet to receive when we neglect to uh, hear from it over the things we've already received? It's so important for us to understand that God is trying to reveal himself to us, and generally the best way God reveals himself to us is in our need. But when we don't hear God in our need because we're so inoculated and we're so entitled because what we have, we just feel like we deserve we have. I worked hard for that. I paid for that. I saved for that. I practiced discipline for that. No, you are gifted that. You are graced that. Because let God, in Job's case, come along. Job, Job wasn't even judged. But the Lord allowed the enemy to rob Job of everything that was given to him. You and I, we could be naked tomorrow and sick tomorrow and childless tomorrow and friendless tomorrow. And if we are, there's nothing we can do to reverse those things if God says it ought not be. And so what I'm saying is, is that God in his provision for you is speaking to you. My question is, is are you hearing him? Are you listening to him? We have to learn to understand the voice of God in small things if we desire to see it in great things. God also speaks to us through his nature that he's created, not just his nature in terms of who he is, but the nature in terms of what we walk in, creation. We look at uh, Psalms chapter 8, verse 3 through 4. David writes, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set into place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? human beings that you should care for them. David makes an interesting observation here because he states in verse 4 that God is thinking about us and caring about us. After looking at the celestial bodies and the stars and things that are much greater than us, David says, huh, look how he did that so intentionally. Look at the care that he, and what, what's cool about science is as, as science uh, grows up and becomes more intelligent, as science does it, it confirms God's care. It confirms God's function. It confirms God's creativity. It confirms God's balance in all that he does. And the awesome thing I love about that is, is the more we're blown away by what God has did in the external, it shows us his intent on the internal. What has God done in us if he has done that great a measure in our own eyes? You, you, don't, you don't hear what I'm saying because sometimes we, we question ourselves of worth and value. Sometimes we question ourselves whether or not we should deserve something. Sometimes we walk around and we say, well, I just, I'm worth that. I deserve that. We beat ourselves up for reasons it ought not be. When the Word of God tells us in Psalms 139, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you for I am Fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unborn substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
I don't know how in the world that we beat ourselves up and depreciate our value when we were, one, made in his image, and two, made intentionally. You were made intentionally. And David is saying that God leaves him awestruck. When he looks at creation, and creation is saying, there's got to be someone who did this. There's no way in this world that by chance, and I know evolution tries its best, but it even fails on its own two feet oftentimes to explain the design and the intentionality of the things that we see. And all of that is God trying to say one thing, I'm here. And you search for things that are small and little, and you're asking for help. And I'm telling you, if you'll just open your eyes and see just through the general revelation of my creative power, you would know that I'm here. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. You can't cancel them. You can't shut them up. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. What is it the heavens are proclaiming? What is the message that has gone out throughout the whole earth? Paul alludes back to this in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. There is a purpose and a reason that God has made himself known in creation. Verse 24 says this, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. What's he saying? I don't need you. (laughs) You need me. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided, I I want you to highlight this part. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. He's talking about mankind there. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and exist. What do you say? I'm here. I'm here. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Did you see it, though? What was his purpose? Verse 27 for the nations to seek after God and perhaps find him. The NIV says it best. It says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. God has done all of these things so that you would find him. So that you could not sit there one day and look into a camera, highly educated, and say, kind sir, why did you make yourself so difficult to find? He made himself abundantly clear. He made himself so clear that in the beginning, in the the garden, that he showed himself to Adam that he was there for him by providing his need. Adam looked around, and Adam saw, you know what? Every tree tree that I need is there for me. I have a wife. She's there for me. I have been given dominion over all the animals. They're here for me to exercise dominion. And he he gave me a garden and put me in the garden and gave me a job. All of, all of God's design and creation is pointing to man, showing man. Man has to look around and say, who, who did all of this for me? 
And answer the question, only God does. But the problem is, is that sin entered into the, the world. And man twists that formula and says, look at all these things around me. Look at now what I do. And so Paul, he, he, he goes back to a time where God says, you know what, I can't let man come together and think that they can all work it out on themselves. And so God has to create need and disparity because he does not want man to think that he alone is his provider. That's why he said up here in verse 26, he says, he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. That specific verbiage, he determined their boundaries, is, is gone back to the, the Tower of Babel, those, those errors, where, where God said, you know what, I have to discourage you and send you out, and I will draw circles, not just around light and not just around water, but also around man's kingdom and man's empire. Because if man comes together and puts their minds towards anything, God himself said there'll be nothing that they cannot do. And so God says this, I know what's in man's heart. And so what I have to do is I have to establish the empires and the civilizations to rise and to fall. And I have to establish the extent of their boundaries. Why? Because I have to create a need in man that he might call back out to me. God is constantly, think about that for a second. Imagine God frustrating your ability to provide for yourself because in doing so, he knew you would never need him again. Imagine him taking an ability away from you. Imagine him robbing an opportunity from you just because he knew that if you had it or you used it, you would never ask for him again. Is there a time in your life where everything was going great and it all came crumbling down? Is there ever a time in your life where you thought you had it all mapped out and it was all ready to go, and then all of a sudden, it all fell? Can I tell you that the furthest that man is from God is when he's the most successful in life by his own making? As humans and as, uh, as mankind, when we become more successful, as we ride the ladder up, we become less and less in need of God, and God knows that. And God would take those things from you because God's number one purpose in, in, in regards to his life, in your life, is for him to reveal himself to you. And if taking something from you reveals himself in a greater way, he'll do that. I would even argue if you look at Job, that Job was, uh, uh, saw God in a greater way than he ever did before. Because when he finally came to the place where he had lost everything, even though it wasn't his fault, he found God in a greater light. In fact, Job chapter 38 and 39, God is on full display on who he is. And that is a direct conversation that he is having with Job. What if God, in his desire to reveal himself to you in a greater measure, meant that you had to have less or be less in your own eyes? Would you be okay with that? Is that the kind of God that you're okay to serve? Because if God desires to humble you, that you might know him in a greater way, you've never lost that battle. You've never lost that transaction. You'll always gain. That's why Paul was always willing to give away whatever he had, because he knew that in, in, in uh, reproving himself and offering up those things and called sacrifices and offerings of his life, he knew he would find a greater knowledge of God. 
The other way is this. Is there's, a, there's creation, and there's nature, and then there's the consciousness of man. So that's the external evidence, the things that we see in creation and how we see God provide for us. But then there's the inside of man. There's things that are outside of man and now the inside of man. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, that's the written law, Moses' law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a moral law. They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the written law, they show that the work of the moral law, the law that's written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul is writing to some Jews, and he is simply saying this, you say you're Jews and you say you're the people of God, but you don't follow his word. Oh, yes, you do have his word. Yes, you are a people who is in charge of the oracles of God, but you simply hear them and you do not do them. Let me show you another people who also have his laws, and that is the Gentiles who do not have the laws written down on a, a, on a, a, a scroll, but God has written them on their hearts. Why and how? Because all of us were made in the image of God, and so there is a moral fabric that comes from him that is already included in us. Do you know the one thing that is pervasive all the way through, um, um, uh, through mankind is simply this, is that no matter if you were Seth or Cain and Abel or you were Scott Brandon, whatever time you were born, you were born knowing what murder is. You are born knowing what lying is, and you are born knowing what stealing is. These three things you know for sure. Those things are written upon your heart because those things are contrary to the nature of God. No one taught you that. No one explained that to you. It was just written on your heart. And as they say in class when we studied apologetics, if there is a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. God has been revealing himself to you externally and internally throughout your whole life. But perhaps like Richard Dawkins, we have fought many ways in, to, to include things in our path to deny him speaking to us. We have focused on so many other things in our life that we cannot hear the word of God. But God has not left himself without a witness. So God has sought to reveal himself to mankind through the power of his creation, in nature, and internally in the heart. So why can't the likes of someone like Richard Dawkins or maybe your professor or your atheist friends, why can't they know God? Why can't they hear the truth? Let me give you three reasons this morning why you can't arrive at the knowledge of God through intelligence and reason. Three reasons why you'll never convince them in an argument or through sound reason or information that Christ is king. The first one is simply this. Their understanding is darkened. Their understanding is darkened. Ephesians 4.18 says this. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Notice, notice the statement is this, they are darkened. That implies at one point there was no darkness, but now that there is. Sin came into mankind, and when it did, it darkened the hearts of man. And when it darkened the hearts of man, we lost the ability to do what? To understand. And therefore, what happened? Ignorance sets in. And no longer are we able to, to, to see the things of God and hear the things of God. And it's caused us to become dead spiritually. 
And so we have to rely on the things that we do have in our toolbox. And that is our natural man. But we can't rely on our natural man. Our natural man won't tell us the things of God, which is our second reason. The natural man cannot discern the spiritual. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You and I, if we are in a fallen state... We do not understand the things of God because they are of the Spirit of God. For me to understand spiritual things in my natural understanding, my natural uh, comprehension, is for me to expect a corpse in the ground to know what's going on in the times uh, of Arkansas. It ain't going to happen that way. They're two different realms, two different realities, and they exist separate from each other. So how can they know if in their natural man they can't discern the spiritual man? especially when they have been darkened. And the third reason is simply this, that unbelievers are spiritually blind. So they, they lack reason. Then uh, they cannot discern the things that are put in front of them. And then now they're blind, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Church, that's why it's so important that you pray that whoever is in your family or whoever is in your school or whoever is in your, uh, your friend zone or at your work, God, I pray that you remove the blind, remove the veil, that they might see the light of the glory of Jesus Christ because there is no other possible way for them to see the truth. You can see it and I can see it all day long. But to them, they're blind. And we get so frustrated sometimes because we're praying so hard and we see the providence of God working in their life and around their life. And we want to just shake them to death and say, do you not see God is reaching out to you? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I pray, God, would you remove the veil? Would you remove the blinds? that they might see the one true thing that can save them, that light of Christ. Lastly, to summarize it all up as the worship team comes back, Paul summarizes this, and he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 22, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I want you to pay attention to this sentence here. Who by their unrighteousness Suppress the truth. Now, here's what it does not say. It does not say they don't know the truth. It says they suppress the truth. And how are they suppressing the truth? Through their unrighteousness. They have allowed their unrighteousness, the things that they love, the things that they care for, to suppress the truth. And when I read that, I had to ask myself, Scott, is there truth in my life that I am suppressing? Are there things in my life that I have allowed unrighteousness to suppress? Because if I'm, if I'm doing that, if I'm, if I'm elevating things that are unrighteous, things that are not of God, and, and, and for me, it may be different for you, but if God has said, Scott, here's what I need you to do, I need you to obey. If I don't do those things, that's unrighteousness. I need to make sure that my obedience is right. Because if I don't walk in obedience, I'm suppressing the truth of who God is. Then he continues, for what can be known about God is plain to them. For what can be known about God is absolutely plain to them in creation. 
because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And here's the reason. So they are without excuse. You're not going to stand before the Lord one of these days and say, Lord, I had, I didn't know. He's not going to be a just, holy, and righteous God and not giving you reasons to acknowledge him, to recognize him. The sad thing is, is that all of creation, the best that creation can do is to bring you a consciousness of God. It doesn't bring you saving power. It doesn't deliver you. It just makes you aware. But for us as believers, we need to stop and remember that's why this is so important. I don't know about you, but Colorado is one of my favorite spots to go. It's just beautiful, especially in the summertime. You can just look, and it's just miles and miles. The glory of God is just incredible. I also love being out there on the ocean, you know, on a cruise, and you can just see just the blue desert, you know. Or if you're flying in a plane, you look down, and, and you just see the earth and it's just incredible to see God's creation. But can I tell you, um, in all those experiences, no matter how marvelous they are or might be, you'll never hear God speak more revelation than when you just open this simple book. To know that you don't need grand views and lofty places. You just need to open this word. And if we'll open this word, the mind-blowing experience that we have and the creation of God will be replicated right here and it will be cheaper. <laughs> Next week, we're going to see that, man, this revelation, this revelation is without words. And the revelation of, of this written word, especially in the living word, we have no reason to not know him. And so that's my question this morning, is do you know him? There's no reason for any man or any woman anywhere to ever say, why did you make it so hard to know you? So how can we be responsible? How can we respond to the message this morning? You can say, Lord, first off, search me. And if there's any unrighteousness in me that's suppressing your truth, make it known. Make it known. Show me, Lord. Because one of these days, we're going to be judged. And if this is God's greatest revelation to us, what he wants you to know about him, I want to ask you, is what's keeping you from reading it? What's keeping you from trusting it? What's keeping you from obeying it? What's keeping you from embracing the truth for what he's asked you to live out? Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to open the, the prayers and um, the altar this morning for a time of prayer. And, and, and here's all I'm asking Like David, he's 
say, Lord, search me. There, there, are, there are facets to your life and corners of your life that you're probably not aware of. There are things in our life that we cover and we hide. But the Holy Spirit knows every one of them. What I want you to know this morning is, is that the Lord longs to reveal himself in a greater way than you've ever known him before. More than you've ever known him right now, he wants you to know even more. And so what's keeping you? What's keeping you? Why, why aren't you knowing him more? What's in your way? What's causing you to suppress the truth of what he wants you to know even more of? What's, what's keeping you from obeying? What is it? And you may not be able to put it into words, maybe feelings, but either way, I pray the Holy Spirit this morning will deal with it. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I first want to ask, if you're here this morning and you don't know this God I'm talking about, you've heard about him, listened to a few preachers, you've listened to a few YouTube sermons, you maybe even read the Bible. You don't know him like you need to know him this morning. And for some reason you're here in your own mind. I would ask you this morning to stop running. Let God make himself known to you. If you're ready to know him the way that he desires you to know him and you're here this morning, would you raise your hand? And let me know you're here. I see one. Thank you. I see two. Thank you. Thank you. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, we pray, God, for these two children of yours, your sons. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would unfold the truth of your word, that they would come to know you in a way far beyond any way they've ever experienced you before. That they would embrace the truth and live out the truth and the truth would set them free, God, from every issue of life and free to you. I pray, God, today you would do that. Help me, Lord, in my conversation with them after service, Lord, to guide them and direct them, Father, as we continue. I thank you for that. Now, for the rest of the church, I want to ask you what's in your way what's suppressing the truth, what's keeping you from knowing him the way he desires you to know him. Would you find a place at the altar at your seat and spend time with the Lord this morning and say, Lord, search me and show me.